The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm extraordinarily pleased to welcome you to another four-week episode of The Compliance Life. In the month of September, I'll be visiting with Deanna Wongquo. Deanna uh, has been most recently the Chief Compliance Officer at Core Laboratories, where she served from 2003 to May 2020. In that capacity, she led Core Laboratories' ethics and compliance activities. In this role, she reported to the General Counsel and Secretary and to the Audit Committee of the Board of Directors. She was responsible for formulating and implemented Core Lab's ethics policies and procedures, including its code of ethics and corporate responsibility statement, making sure they were communicated and training across all company lines. She managed the company's helpline resources and served as the final internal resource which concerned parties could communicate after other formal channels and resources were exhausted. As Chief Compliance Officer, She was authorized to implement all necessary actions to ensure achievement of objectives of an effective compliance program. In her role, she collaborated with other functional departments, including internal audit, human resources, information security, to receive and direct compliance issues for the company. Deanna has a great story. Uh, It's well worth listening to. I know you'll enjoy it, and I know you'll learn a lot. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our concluding episode in this month's four-part series on the Compliance Live. Back again, Deanna Wonquo. Deanna, first of all, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Deanna, one of the themes, I don't want to say the theme, but one theme it seems to me I've heard you talk about consistently throughout this podcast series is that a CCO must uh, know what they stand for, and they must uh, articulate that and occasionally have to stand up for that uh, as well. And I was wondering if that's a correct kind of assessment of of what you've talked about over the past three episodes, if you might expand on that a little bit for us. Sure, Tom. So certainly during my time as CCO, as I mentioned on previous podcasts, I enjoyed a probably 17 and a half year career there. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed uh, the people I worked with, the people I worked for, um, had a lot of respect for the individuals in our, you know, in our C-suite and, you know, the managers that had, you know, fiscal responsibilities, a lot of respect for them. Um, But certainly there were times during my career, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, that I didn't always agree with um, with my GC in regards to to decisions, and I, I recognized early on that uh, you know that the GC you know that of course that decision um, and perhaps the decision um, of the HR 
or the VP of HR at the time may have been final in regards to disciplinary actions. But um, there were just some cases where I just thought, hey, this is pretty cut and dry. You know, um, this shouldn't be any, you know, in regards to reporting facts. There should be no discussion, <laughs> you know, in regards to the outcome here, especially, uh, you know, when, when there were indeed, um, you know, repeat occurrences, alleged repeat occurrences. And so that was frustrating for me as an individual because I think I mentioned uh, one thing that the CCO needs to needs to be able to do is to stand for or defend what he or she truly believes to be the right thing to do, even when it's not popular. So, you know, I can imagine some of us as parents, right? We say that to our children, right? Stand for something, stand for the, you know, for the little guy, you know, don't stand there and watch somebody being bullied. I never saw anyone being bullied, you know, but I I still think that, you know, if we had an opportunity to do a couple of things over, I can imagine that we could have made some different decisions based on, you know, what we know now, right, that a CCO should do. But I also think it's very important that as a CCO that we recognize what our jobs are, right? Our jobs um, to prevent or to detect, to first detect and prevent, right, misconduct and facilitate compliance. So what does that look like? Well, lots of times we have to be able to collaborate with HR, with internal audit, with IT security, with operations, right? And so one of the things that uh, that comes with the title of corporate compliance officers that people want to immediately isolate you because they think that you are what you are the company police officer, <laughs> you know, you're the compliance cop, right? And they can't say anything. They, you know, they can't sit next to you during meetings. They can't be seen with you because they'll be seen as what? As a rat. So we've got to change that, Right. We, as a compliance officers, we have to be able to champion what the compliance program is and get across to individuals that it's important for them to own compliance. Just because compliance is in my title doesn't mean that I am the only one who has to adhere to, for example, the code of conduct. It's everyone's responsibility. It's important for the compliance officer to recognize that, yeah, there will always be expectations about what they're supposed to do, what their job is. And and don't doubt that a person will not tell you, well, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. Well, that's great. But last I knew, my title is corporate compliance officer and my job description says X, Y, Z. So no, you're not going to, you know, you don't get to tell me what I'm going to do or what I'm not going to do. But it's important, yes, to um, to make sure that in our job as corporate compliance officer that we educate, 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 and understand the difference between educating, meaning transferring of knowledge, and communicating on what our policies are. We need to draw a clear line between that because that's one thing that I 
I've, I found myself fighting for, quote unquote, fighting for in my job, um, is that we need to step up our education, our training program in the company. It can't just be, oh, there's a code of conduct on the wall, go read it, sign here. It can't be that. We must take a deeper dive into the education aspect and the transfer of knowledge. We have to make sure that our policies and our controls are appropriate. They're adequate. And it can't just be kind of like set in stone, like, you know, like the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Once it's written, it's done. No, these policies need to be reviewed on a regular basis. And yeah, sometimes changes have to be made. That is sometimes, that was sometimes another wall that I would hit. Hey, we need to revise this policy. Why? There's nothing wrong with it. No, there's a lot wrong with it. A lot has changed, right? Um, when we audit, right, we're, we're looking for problems. It shouldn't just be a, oh, it's, it's an exercise, right? It's done. Boom. Tick the box. No, no, no. Have we identified any problems? When we audit, we're supposed to look for problems. That's kind of part of our monitoring of the compliance program too. So wait, no, let's not do, let's not do audits this year. Really? Well, that was never a scenario I faced, thankfully. Um, audits were very much welcome. They were um, reviewed as necessary and they were taken very seriously. Um, another way that we look for problems is through risk assessments. Well, how often are you supposed to do a risk assessment? Well, because the business changes and the business environment changes, you should do a risk assessment annually because new risk may have developed since the last time you did one. We have to be able to evaluate our program and we do that through investigations and we do that through looking at data that we've gathered from our audits, from our training, right? We measure how effective that is. We won't know if it's effective if we don't measure it and if we don't monitor it. Now, one of the things that I used to say to our employees all the time is that you have to inspect what you expect. So even though I was the person saying, hey, we have a speak-up culture here, we are championing a speak-up culture. We expect for you guys to speak up. Well, if the, if the phone never rings, if an email never comes through, if a helpline inquiry form is never submitted via the online mechanisms, then what's going on? Are we just going to assume that all is well? No, we can't because, again, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, when you have a multinational company with operations just about everywhere, where there is a red spot on the Transparency International map for a possible, you know, corruption, then, no, the, the, the phone should be ringing. Well, once we evaluate, what are we going to do? We have to apply appropriate fixes and we have to follow up. Again, that's part of inspecting what you expect. If we've taken action, and we don't go back and verify the effectiveness of that action taken, then we might as well prepare ourselves for a recurrence of that misconduct. That is something that we're trying to avoid. And then, of course, it's important that the board is kept in the loop 
in regards to compliance-related activities. It's important that the board, that the compliance officer, actually has an audience with the board so that he or she can pre- prevent, or not prevent, can present the compliance activities, can speak freely to the board if there are some concerns in his or her professional opinion that the company should be aware of. Uh, the compliance officer should also provide training to the board. And so if he or she never goes before the board, how does that connection, how does that relationship, which I believe is very important, how does that get facilitated? Who does the compliance officer then report his or her concerns to if, like in my case, where I indicated, you know, there were a couple of things that I may not have agreed on. Maybe there should have been, um, you know, I'd say someone who didn't necessarily have uh, skin in the game, so to speak, to, you know, make that final decision. I, you know, I, I don't know how that would have turned out. But again, I think it's important for the compliance officer to actually report uh, to the board, especially if he or she has reports that they must uh, compile for the board, then he or she should present that, whether it's quarterly and or at least on an annual basis. And as we move towards the end of this episode, I wonder if we might end on two or three things that really stand out to you as uh, successes or things you're most proud of in your career as chief compliance officer at Core Laboratories. Right. So one of the main things I'll say that I'm most proud of is my ability to reach out and touch um, employees around the globe. Part of my job was to travel and actually educate our employees on our compliance policies and, you know, communicate the company expectations while still trying to um, encourage a speak up culture. I believe I did that fairly well. I believe I connected well with employees around the globe. I, because again, you know, they, I did receive calls on the helpline. And so um, I think that, um, that my ability to, you know, to not forget them as uh, as human beings uh, sort of helped and my compassion and being transparent with them. I think that that is something that I'm going to be very, um, you know, that I am uh, very proud of in terms of accomplishments. The other is that I, I was one who pushed very hard for a non-retaliation policy. Yes, we had, you know, words in regards to no retaliation and presentations that we'd give on the code of conduct, on on um, uh, harassment and that sort of thing. We always had, you know, information in there about uh, non-retaliation, but I thought it was important to have a separate non-retaliation policy. And so um, I was able to um, to draft that policy and it um, and and it was actually uh, utilized um, across the company and all of the uh, business units. So I was very proud of that. And thirdly, um, I think the thing that I am most proud of is that I actually took the time to grow into the position 
to gain the knowledge that I needed. In fact, while I <clears throat> while I worked for uh, Core Laboratories, um, over the course of the years, I obtained uh, two master's degrees in regards to compliance specifically. Um, I am a certified compliance and ethics professional, and so I take what I do very seriously, and I enjoy communicating um, about what I do to other employ or to employees and others who are interested in the compliance profession. I tell them, listen, it's never a dull moment. You never do the same thing twice. And you really don't get pigeonholed into one, into one industry. Compliance is applicable across all industries. And so um, I would just like to encourage those who are thinking about uh, perhaps pursuing a career in the compliance profession to do it because it is ever evolving and it will challenge you and it will expand your knowledge and you will really, really um, embrace it. it. It's fantastic. I'm going to end this podcast series with something that you started with in episode one. And I hope I wrote this down right. Your story is no different than any other compliance officer because it's so different. And I think that you have certainly uh, talked about that over this podcast series. And you've also, I think, taught us that uh, with a background as about as different as a lawyer as one can have, uh, you were able to not only uh, become a chief compliance officer, grow into that role and succeed in that role and show that uh, the skills that uh, you had as a QAQC professional certainly lend themselves, but uh, you have the opportunity for growth. So, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me, and I look forward to uh, to your next journey. Thank you so much, Tom. This has been great. Thank you for doing this. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode with in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.